0: Good morning, Church. How are you all? Morning, thank you. Really good. You will need your Bibles. If you would like to borrow a Bible, stick your hand in the air. Phil, as ever, is there, ready? If you have a church Bible, you need to be heading firstly to page number one one three nine. For those of you that that's of no use whatsoever, Romans twelve. When you found Romans 12 on page 1139, stick your thumb in it. Turn a few pages on to 1227, 1 John chapter 4. The other two passages we're using this morning I thought we would get you set up, ready and waiting to study these verses together ever wondered what it would be like if you hadn't met Jesus? What your life might be like today? How different it might be? wonder what you'd be doing this morning. Maybe you're going for a walk or washing the car or reading the Sunday papers. I mean, let's face it, you need a whole Sunday to read a Sunday paper. I can't remember the last time I read a Sunday paper. Can you remember that moment when your life changed? When a new relationship began, when you first grasped the fact that God loves you? How did you feel? Well, this morning I want you to think back to the start of your life as a Christian. The point when you first started to comprehend. The love of God. Let's read 1 John 4, starting from verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we, love, we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God and yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command those who love God must also love one another. Today's title Growing in Love, the Heart of Worship. Just want to spend a few minutes exploring our relationship with God in worship, why we do it, how we do it, and how as we do it, we can grow. We meet together as a church to worship once or twice a week, normally. Like most churches in this country, we meet on a Sunday morning. Here we are, meeting together to worship this Sunday. So why do we need to meet together to worship? Number one. We worship in response to his passionate love for us. The key verse that Darren has already picked up on this morning as he led us so well into worship and has led us to this point so well, I'm I'm thankful for that, Darren. We love because he first loved us, verse 19 in our text. Worship is response, a response to God's love. It's what helps us build a relationship with God and it is a key purpose for our lives. It acknowledges who God is and what he has done. It is part of us expressing our love for God. Worship is therefore important for both us as individuals and for us as a church. It builds our relationship with God, and it is a relationship that is founded on love. Jesus himself, when he was being challenged by the religious leaders of the day, gave a response that leaves us in no doubt the importance of our relationship with God when he states that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And all your mind and all your strength. Just look at that verse for a moment. God wants each of us to love Him passionately, with all my heart and all my soul. He also wants us to love Him intelligently, with all my mind. He also wants us to love him enthusiastically with all my strength. How we love God, how we worship him is key to our relationship with God and we need to give it passion. Use all of our strength and also with our full understanding and revelation of who it is that we are worshiping. If God loves us, we need to love him back. If God is passionate about you, if he is enthusiastic about you, then guess what? Our worship needs to be passionate and enthusiastic too. Now, if I remember rightly, last Friday there was a bit of a game that went on down at a little place called Kingsholm. Now, the first half wasn't so good. I understand the second half was a lot better. And I'm guessing, I don't know, is Steve around? He's with the children. I don't know whether he was there or not, but if you ask Steve about passion and rugby, he can tell you that a lot of people can get passionate about 30 men running around a field after an odd-shaped ball. Yet to engage in enthusiastic worship of the maker of this majestic blue-green ball, which supports the only known life in the universe. We need to get real. God desires our heartfelt, passionate, most intimate worship. Point number two. We worship God because it makes sense. Paul in his letter to Romans, flick over, Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Says, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Worship is not only our response to God's mercy, it is the most reasonable activity we can be involved in. God is the highest being. He is the creator of our life. It makes sense to worship him. To worship is to pursue the very reason of our existence, to find the path to eternal joy and fulfillment. Worship makes sense. It's a rational and sensible thing to do, to honor God and put him as first place in your life. Worship is using our abilities for God. Whatever you do, says Paul, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for human masters. Point number three. We worship God every day, and this strengthens our relationship with him every day. Hang on a minute, you say? We're just talking about Sunday worship. No, we're not. Worship isn't just singing in church. Worship should be our service in the community. Our worship of God should involve all of our life, not just an hour or two of worship on Sunday, but the other 110 or so waking hours of our week. All of our life should be our worship of God. Whether that you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, says Paul in the letters for Colossians. Sorry, Corinthians. That passage, Roman 12, verses 1 and 2. Worship is a lifestyle a a seven-day-a-week attitude of enjoying God, loving God, giving ourselves to be used for God's purposes. Paul here expresses this understanding of worship in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Romans, knew all about dutifully going to church. Paul grew up a devout Jew, the son of a Pharisee. He obeyed all the religious laws and customs. He faithfully attended temple services. But after discovering a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Paul's heart was set afire with God's love, and Paul's whole notion of worship was transformed from just going to church and doing all that good religious stuff to living and breathing and an awareness of God every single day and every single night. Worship was no longer part of God's life. Worship, sorry, Paul's life. Worship is Paul's life. Paul's letters overflow with worship as a lifestyle. He wrote to the Thessalonians, pray, pray continually. While in jail waiting to be executed, Paul wrote that he considered nothing comparable to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And he urged the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. To the Colossians, Paul said, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts for God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What would it mean for us to wake up in the name of Jesus, to greet everybody that we meet in the name of Jesus? of Jesus, to drive in the name of Jesus, to work in Jesus' name, to watch television in Jesus' name, to do household chores in Jesus' name, to spend money, to sing, to dance, to create art in Jesus' name. Our passage, our second passage in Romans here, I love the version in the message. It's paraphrased there as, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Notice the action that's involved. Worship is not a passive existence. We cannot sit around, depending on the worship leader, the music, external circumstances, to light a fire within us. Worship takes the initiative Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We bring the offering of worship every day, seeking God and expressing our love for God. So to recap, we worship in response to his passionate love for us. We worship God because it makes sense. We worship God every day And this strengthens our relationship with him. So what should be different about Sunday? We come to church each Sunday as a way of expressing worship with others. In a way, we come to church to practice what heaven might be like. Worship is not entertainment. It's not intellectual inspiration from the preacher Worship is an act of each and every Christian participating and offering to God active, full-bodied worship. The Bible describes the acts of worshipping in physical terms. The Psalms call for singing, clapping, dancing, lifting the hands, bowing the head. The Hebrew word for bless literally means to kneel. The Hebrew word thanksgiving refers to an extension of The hand. The root meaning of the Hebrew word that we translate as worship means to prostrate, to lay face down on the floor. I've seen some people do that in worship. And sure, some might say they're a little bit crazy. But there's something powerful to see Christians who are unashamed. To demonstrate the love of God. People are all different, so are churches. The style of worship, where people are clapping and dancing and singing and raising their hands and laying face down on the floor, that might appeal perhaps to emotional types, but I'm naturally quiet and reserved and British. isn't the kind of worship that will meet my need. But wait, we don't worship God to meet our need. What we must see that the real question of worship is not what will meet my need. The real question is what kind of worship does God call for? It's clear that God calls for wholehearted worship and it is reasonable to expect wholehearted worship to be physical as to expect it to be intellectual. Often our reserved temperament is little more than a fear of what others will think of us. Or perhaps an unwillingness to humble ourselves before God and others. Of course, people have different temperaments. But that must never keep us from worshipping our God wholeheartedly. Remember what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So worshipping on a Sunday is important, but it should be part of our seven-day-a-week worship lifestyle. No doubt some of you may be now thinking, how do I make my worship go beyond Sunday? Well, it all comes back to our daily response to God's love. I'll leave you to ponder that one for a moment. In 2001, a new phenomenon in television broadcasting hit our screens. With the launch of a television program called Pop Idol. Soon followed, a few years later, by The X Factor. And other celebrity-focused, celebrity-creating machines of media that feed the dreams of tens of thousands of celebrity wannabes. To say the least, the shows have been successful and netted billions in profits for their makers as millions tuned in to watch the live talent broadcasts. Also in 2001, the Apple iPod was launched. According to published figures in just 2009, over 220 million iPods have been sold. Obviously, we now have the Apple iPhone and the Apple iPad. And since 2009, together they have outstripped the total sales of iPods. They recently launched a new model of the phone. It sold 4 million devices in just the first three days after it was launched. There is no doubt about it. The Apple product lines are successful. Why are these TV shows and consumer electronics so popular? Because people love them. And whatever they love, they worship. Now, there's nothing wrong with a talent show. There's nothing wrong... With a phone. <laughs> Unless we ourselves give it an emphasis in our own lives that raise it up on a pedestal and cause it to be a challenge to our relationship with God. Funny enough, I was given two copies of Steve Jobs' biography, the founder, one of the co-founders of Apple for Christmas. Having read the first part of that, it was concerning and fascinating to learn that Apple stores are deliberately designed to be cathedral-like, with their wide aisles and their altar-like tables to display the product. People are literally walking into the stores as an act of worship. The idols we worship are whatever we give our primary attention, our primary affection, our primary abilities. Many people worship their career, some making money. Some worship pleasure, some physical fitness, some worship television, the internet, video games, some a sport or a hobby. It could be alcohol, drugs, food or sex, whatever gives them a buzz. Some worship another program that's the person that so dominates their life that their total attention, affection and ability goes to that person. Some simply worship themselves. The greatest temptation in life is to worship something other than God. You may say that's not my problem. Oh yes, it is. It's my problem too. It's the number one problem in life because it's the root of every other one of our problems. Idols are all around us, just like they were in Paul's day when he wrote to the Romans. Paul recognizes that even though we are designed to worship God, we face barriers and challenges that distract us from what should be our chief purpose in life. Many of the things that distract us are good things, and it's hard to give them up. That's why Paul describes worship as a sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice because it means giving up everything else that distracts us from the greatest purpose in life. Because worship is a sacrifice, we must offer our very best to God. King David said, I will not offer the Lord my sacrifice Sorry, I will not offer the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. We often flinch at the word sacrifice, but sacrifices are not at all difficult or painful when we recognize that the heart of worship is a relationship. When somebody loves you and you love back, sacrifice becomes a joy. The other day we were in the car. And my youngest daughter, Kezia, asked us a question. It's a question that I've been asked before, certainly by the other two daughters, and it's part of them beginning to understand the world that existed before they did. How did you and mummy meet? You see, Kezia knows that mummy had spent most of her childhood in Gloucester, and daddy had spent and been born in Maidstone, and it had not escaped her notice that the geography of those two locations are (laughs) 150 miles apart. So how on earth did you meet each other? Well, the answer is a place called Skegness, and for those of you that know the story, both Julia and I were working on a team at Spring Harvest, helping to teach five to seven-year-olds about the love of Jesus. I recall the first time I saw Julia She was sitting in the entrance of the venue that we were using for our program. It was the first day and her and another girl, a certain Miss Calver, daughter of a certain Clive Calver, were sitting as almost signposts directing people where to go. If I recall correctly, the two of them were comparing notes as to what it was like to be the daughter of a full-time Christian worker. She didn't notice me, but I noticed her. Now it wasn't love at first sight, but there was something about her that attracted me and so began a journey of a relationship which would lead us to where we are today. In the early years, let's face it, it was likely to fail. 150 miles is quite a distance without the joys of Facebook or mobile phones. We explained to Kezia that telephones were often tethered to this thing called a wire And we were located in the hall. <laughs> Phone calls were limited. Soon after I met Julia, she completed her A levels and had to choose a university. It came down to two choices Cardiff or Kingston upon Thames. We're probably here today because of Kingston upon Thames. It reduced the distance between us during term times to just 50 miles, and in the four years that followed, I added about 88,000 miles to the car's clock, and a testament to how many hours I spent on the M25 to make this relationship work. I was keen to give it my attention and my affection. Do you remember the first time you met Jesus? The first time that you gained an understanding of God's love for you. The first time you understood that Christ died for you. Paul begins with that verse, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, mercy, chapter 12 marks a transition in Paul's letter to the Romans. After a lengthy discourse about the generosity, the grace, the love, that God has for us, even though we are sinners, Paul turns his attention to our response to such amazing love. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your spiritual act of worship. Are we giving this relationship our primary attention, our primary affection, our primary abilities, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's often noted that the problem with being a living sacrifice is we have a tendency to crawl off the altar. Jesus knows that. He knows that we get so easily distracted by what life throws at us. We started in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. In that passage, you'll also find three simple words God is love. I'm sure there are many theologians that could expand on those three words and produce sermon after sermon. As to the incredible statement that that is and its reality, I'm not that clever. Actually, I'm not that good with words either. Maths is my thing. Give me something logical any day of the week. Give me an equation to solve and I'm happy. But here is the problem. God is love. On his side of the equation, there is this amazing constant that has never changed. God is love. On our side of the equation... Or well, things are just a little bit more messy. Let's face it, it doesn't matter how hard we try, we cannot solve that equation on our own. God solved it for us. 1 John 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Just close your eyes for a minute. We're going to pray. As we just take on board some of the things that have been said this morning and some of the words in the worship earlier, I just want to reread to you that passage from Romans, paraphrased by the message, just verses 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. (coughs) Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develops a well-formed Mature you. God's love requires a response. It requires us to surrender. It requires us to give up everything. It requires us to give us his attention. Do you know that word surrender? Sometimes in life these days, people think it's such a negative thing not in God's world. Father, I just thank you for the way that this impossible equation for us to solve has been solved by you. Lord, your love for us is steadfast. Your love for us is a constant. And we thank you for that this morning. Lord, as we live our everyday lives, as we consider what we do with the 110 or so waking hours of our week, help us to surrender to you, I pray. Help us to understand better how we should live our lives daily in worship to you. We're going to sing a song in response to that, which is all to Jesus, I surrender. Let's stand and sing.